Welcome to the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Kennedy, and you tune in today because you're sick of trying every fad diet under the sun and training yourself into the ground without seeing any results. That's why I'm here, to share the most effective ways to eat and train for sustainable and real results. Hey guys, welcome back to this week's episode of the show. Today I'm joined by none other than WBFF Pro, Robbie Frame. Not only does Robbie have a very impressive physique, he also has a world of knowledge that he's willing to share with everyone in the fitness industry through his Instagram, Snapchat, YouTube, and not to mention he's just an all-around great guy and someone that I definitely look up to in the fitness industry and someone that, that, that I see as a very credible source. So today's interview was fun. Robbie is less than two weeks out from his next WBFF show, um, which is overseas, so we go into a lot of that stuff inside the interview, which I hope you enjoy. Make sure you hang around for this week's social media question of the week, and as always, guys, after this episode, if you feel like you got some good content out of it, take a screenshot of the episode and within 30 minutes, post it on your social media. Um, Let's spread the word and try and get this show to as many ears as possible. Now sit back and enjoy the interview. All right, Robbie, welcome to the show, brother. Um, just kick things off by less, having a bit of a chat about how you're feeling less than two weeks out from your next WBFF show. Ooh. Well, first and foremost, thank you very much for having me on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Um, but how am I feeling? Two weeks out, oh, as good as you can feel two weeks out from a competition. I think, uh, look, whilst my calorie intake is a whole lot less than I'm used to and uh, I'm doing a, a fair bit more cardio than I'm more accustomed to. Uh, I, I'm in a pretty good space psychologically in the lead up to this to this competition. I think, and I think that that's as a result of giving myself more time to be well prepared. Um, so by giving myself more time, I, I'm probably in a happier, healthier mindset than I would be in previous preps. But it's it's this final two weeks that um, yeah, you, you tend to micromanage the tiny details and. Uh, focus on what you can do, all the variables within your control, yeah. Yeah, definitely, man. So, obviously, as we just mentioned, less than two weeks out from what is a, a very big show, when did you actually first start competing and what federation did you start with and, and kind of what was that driving motivation for you to even step on stage in the first place? Yeah, um, God. So, I, like, I started lifting as a result of rugby, like I had rugby injuries. So I sustained rugby injuries uh, and I had to retire from playing when I was 20. Okay. And, and so I, I really didn't have like a physical, I, I'd always been active throughout high school. So rugby or athletics and I was so like, I just needed to find an avenue or an outlet and uh, I fell into the gym uh, and I fell into the gym at just about the time that there was a shift away from bodybuilding into like fitness model physiques and the classic physique was sort of coming back into coming back into fashion and um i remember you know as you do scrolling through endless pages of motivational information and content on like bodybuilding.com or simply shredded.com and i remember finding all these wbff athletes and um, and just going, you know, looking at the competition with the square spandex shorts and just the physiques that they had. Yep. And I went, well, that's going to dictate the direction I want to move in in terms of the way I want to craft my physique. But then, I mean, it wasn't until like three years after I started lifting weights properly that I um, stepped foot on the AMB stage for the Asia-Pacific Fitness Model Championships in okay. 20, 
That was my first competition way back in 2012. What's that, six years now? Yeah. Time flies, mate. Time flies. Time flies when you're having fun in your diving. <laughs> exactly, bro. A question that I, I like to put to people that are competing at a high level now is what approach did you did you take with your training and nutrition for that first competition and how is that, uh, how is that contrasted to how you approach things now? <laughs> um. Look, the first competition is going to be a learning experience in every facet, not just in terms of your training. It, it just training, nutrition, and mindset. Um, the first thing that I picked up on in 2012, I think I followed a very, I mean, it was a very clean eating approach, very restrictive approach in terms of my diet, um, especially with 16 weeks out. Um, the focus were, you know, abstaining from all foods that were perceived to be bad, um, regardless of whether or not they were bad for me or not. So. I think you you go into that you know that first competition prep wanting to give of your whole self to get the best possible outcome, and as a result you you, you sort of blindly follow whatever you get given, and but yeah. you're not probably sure about the rationale behind it. And I think that's shifted significantly now that I've educated myself enough to understand what's most important and least important, what variables I you know really shouldn't have to micromanage and. What's what probably deserves my attention. Um, so I think where in the past I was very restrictive, very, um, you know, 100% beeline focus and volume turned up at all times, you know, uh, I think I've had a shift in mindset and, and that only happens with experience and understanding your body and how to get into your best condition. Yeah. Uh, and it's more, I, it's more timing myself now and knowing how to, how to tighten up in terms of tracking, compliance, and just that athlete mentality when the opportunity or the time comes and not just, you know, 16 weeks of blasting the the effort, you know what I mean? Oh, 100%, man. I, I agree, and you see it a lot. And it's not even just with physique competitors. Like, uh, I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of looking at articles or, or, or following what other people were doing initially and it's hard not to get caught up in correlation versus causation. So seeing someone else, you know, only eating chicken breast, brown rice and broccoli or whatever and, and seeing that they're shredded and thinking, oh, well, that's obviously the answer or seeing someone oh, yeah. excessively doing too much cardio and thinking that that's the only way. Um, and, and, and I agree, like it doesn't have to be, I think at every stage of some form of, of diet, if you're going to get into the leanest shape that you've ever been in, then yes, you are going to suffer at some point, but it doesn't, oh, yeah. doesn't have to be from the start to the finish. No, and I, and I think that's an important thing to, like, you touched on a couple of really good points there. First and foremost, the the notion of, you know, correlation and causation, looking at someone who's obviously attained a, a phenomenal physique that you aspire to achieve. And I remember actually looking to replicate the exact diet in the exact portion sizes, in the exact, everything yeah. down to the letter, because obviously we try to model our behavior um, and the processes like it, it, it's inevitable. It doesn't matter whether it's fitness or otherwise. We're going to model our behavior off other individuals if we want to get that outcome. Now, I think once you're empowered and you're educated to a point where you're able to understand the underlying reasons why certain protocols work, you're able to then practically apply that to yourself and, and tying in with what you just said with the, do you need to go all out 16 weeks out? Well, in truth, remaining compliant to your diet and getting the best result possible when you step foot on the stage uh, has as much to do with not only your physical, but m- most importantly, your psychological. And if you uh, you can you can potentially find yourself in a position where 
your um, you know you're overreaching with your dieting psychology. You, you, you're tracking everything like so meticulously uh, sixteen weeks out that you start to micromanage details that at that particular time in the context of that situation probably aren't you know it's not as relevant. Um, but that, that again that comes with experience. That comes with understanding context. Um, and, and, and yeah, definitely experience. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Now in the intro, I, I mentioned how, you know, for me, you're someone in the industry that has a world of knowledge, um, and is more than happy to share it with other people. And, and, and I, I put you as one of the good guys in the fitness industry, but in terms of education, what are some of the sources or who are some of the people that you've looked up to and, and gained your knowledge from? Cause as you said, you don't, you obviously don't just start out in the gym and, oh, then, no. and then all of a sudden you know everything. So there's got to be some someone or some form of source that you've learned yeah. a lot of your info through. Yeah. So I, I look, it, it's so funny. I've, I've mentioned this time and again to other other people. It's funny how to see how my who I turn to for my information has shifted from the guy I see on the cover of the magazine to now guys that spend more time in the lab or they're doing their research and, and what you'll find is, you know, the likes of, um, you know, you've got Eric Helm, you've got Alan Aragon, you've got um, Brad Schoenfeld, you've got uh, Brett Contreras, uh, you've got uh, Lane, uh, Lane Norton, you've got Elijah McDonald. You've got all these names, um, reputable names that, that follow an evidence-based approach. Yeah. And, and, and people like Mike Isretel as well, like I'm looking at his programming um, you know, minimal and maximal recoverable volume um, and, and the appropriate, uh, you know, volume considerations in order to elicit hypertrophy whilst factoring in fatigue management and intensity. The, like, these are the guys, like, I, I geek out over it because one of the things I found when I first started out in the industry at, at training, like, I attained a, a reasonably good physique but I, I sort of felt like a bit of a fraud because I didn't understand how I'd ha- actually got in the physique. Yeah, um, yeah. And that ties in with blindly following the protocol but not actually understanding why it works. And I think, you know, I was really compelled to understand what is the underlying reason why something works and reading the work of these guys, these uh, sort of evidence-based practitioners and, and people that take the science and then practically apply it to training and, you read enough articles and you can start seeing that there's a common trend amongst a lot of them in terms of their psychology uh, with the way in which they approach training and nutrition and shifted away from like your your animal pack ad, you've got to be in it to win it, you've got to suffer in order to get results. And now it's it's more, what about we take them, what about we understand that we still want to get results, but we want to take a more methodical way to get there. Yeah. And by, by removing emotion from the equation, and focusing more on the, the quantitative and the evidence, you're actually able to, like, I now feel as though I'm more confident and capable of, of getting somebody else, re- you know, great results yeah. um, without compromising their lifestyle and also without turning around and using the cop-out, well, it works for me. Because yeah. I just don't, yeah, yeah. So I guess I look to those guys, um, and, and having gone to a number of their seminars and, and sort of picked their brains and got an understanding of what they're all about, you, you just continue to follow them. Um, yeah, it, those, are, those are the guys I turn to. 
Definitely, man. I agree. And those are, those are a lot of the guys that I tend to get my information from as well. It's funny you mentioned Mike Israel. He's someone I've been looking into a lot lately, and he's starting to pop up a bit more with guys like uh, with guys mm-hmm. like Eric, and, and they have some really good discussions. And something I do like about all those guys that you mentioned is because it is evidence based stuff. They're more than happy to admit when they you know they might be wrong, or if there's a new study that comes yeah. up to show that their approach isn't the most optimal way. They're not that stubborn that they're going to keep pushing it. They know that yeah, there's evidence behind it, so they're, they're willing to kind of uh, be open to new things. Exactly right. And, and you, that's the biggest thing is in a, in a day and age where, and, and I'll be the first to put my hand up and say, when I first started out, I was looking for the most optimal protocol out there. I wanted to get from point A to B as efficiently as possible. And if you speak to anyone out in the general public that want to get good results with their physique or any form of fitness, what they're looking for when they're looking cherry-picking around looking for the best trainer or the best they're looking for what's going to get them the results as efficiently as possible. And 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 I think inherent in that is, you know, looking for oh, what's optimal, what's optimal, and then trying to shape your lifestyle around what looks optimal on paper, when in truth a lot of these guys are big advocates of What's you know we we know sort of what's optimal on paper, but what's optimal in terms of its practical application, and and at any point, um, you know, if at any point they find that, you know, they're they're it's not I was going to say beliefs, but they don't have beliefs; they've got science, so they stick yeah. to the evidence. And and should be, and they and you are right that that understanding that if the evidence suggests otherwise, then we follow what the you know what the what the meta analysis on this topic you know. Is um, is stating so. I, I think it's important rather than looking for black and white and sticking with gurus who are so focused on you know beliefs that they've uh, held true for many years. It's refreshing to see a new wave of um, evidence-based practitioners getting the sort of attention they deserve um, to to preach the good words, so to speak. Yeah, definitely, and something that I like to say a lot to to clients that come to me, whether it be online or in person, is like you said, a lot of people are looking for that most efficient and optimal way. Yet if you know, I can give I can give you, I can give myself the most optimal program or nutritional protocol in the world, but if we can't stick to it then it's useless. So finding, you know, molding your your life around a training program or a nutrition plan is definitely not sustainable. So I think you're hitting the nail on the head there. Yeah. Uh, and staying kind of along the lines of flexibility and sustainability how much does your uh i guess flexibility with food choices and macro ranges and stuff change from the off season compared to while you're prepping for a show so so i use this i've been using this sort of analogy lately regarding turning the volume up and turning the volume down and I, i often say to people when they recount their stories of when they restrict themselves as part of a clean eating diet they don't eat their favorite foods um calories have been aggressively cut unnecessarily and and at the time that they choose to make that health kick their motivation is sky high so they're more than willing to go through that initial suffering phase because they're seeing immediate results you know fast yeah um but i like what i've said is that's like going into a rock concert or a music festival and the PA system is, like, it is blaring. And at first, because you're so enthusiastic and motivated by the fact that you're actually there at the festival or whatever, you, you tend to accept it. But over time, that incessant sound at that high-end volume is going to cause a headache. 
not just physically but mentally. And it can it can be quite mentally debilitating, you know, tracking everything to the nearest gram, um, only preparing meals that you, you know, want to eat, like that are in line with your dieting goals. Um, you know, when you're in a dieting phase and you're two weeks out from competition and you're wanting to scrutinize everything to the nearest gram and the nutrient timing because you're worried about your energy levels throughout the day, right now, like I am, that's yep. okay. But if you're going to ask me what my off-season is like and I don't, and the focus is on being in a surplus and, and the focus is on putting on lean muscle mass, rather than trying to get within 5 to 10 grams of each macronutrient and preparing I work within ranges, so you know maybe 15 to 20, 15 to 20 grams for like your, your protein and your, your carbs, um, a, a bit more with your, a little bit less with the fats. But uh, I, I guess my volume sort of is turned down during the off season. Mm. But it's all heavily dependent on when I next need to be in condition. And I think you know there's a fine line between flexibility and uh, accountability. Like, the, you, you really do need to make sure that uh, with the level of flexibility you afford yourself during your off-season, which should be the most productive time of the year, uh, you just need to make sure that you're not taking the ball and running with it when it comes to flexible dieting principles. You still need to remain accountable. You still need to remain on track. And you still need to be conscious of where you need to be sitting, you know, 14, 16, 12, however long your prep is, what is your starting point and how much work will you need to do to get into condition? And then that will dictate sort of my surplus and, and sort of the degree or the level of flexibility I afford with my food choices and, and meals. But, yeah, during the off-season, it, it's pretty relaxed. Um, and, and not only does that tie in with, you know, obviously physically needing the nutrients and, and sort of that uh, variety of different foods, but from a psychological perspective, you know, it, Often people find that if they if they turn the music up at 100%, 365 days of the year with that mentality, at one point or another, the, the music's going to get so loud that they're just going to switch it off altogether and they're not going to follow a fitness protocol. Mm. Um, so I find it, it's sort of like you're trying to periodize your dieting in, from a psychological perspective. So I'll, you, you not only are you relaxing your diet in terms of the ranges, but it, it's sort of just relaxing the mind in terms of that constant over-analysis of food, which even if you do follow an evidence-based approach, even if you do calculate macros and you understand that you could theoretically eat whatever you want, you can start to establish unhealthy relationships with food if you do it for too long. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that analogy of volume up, volume down. And as you said, we periodize pretty much everything else in terms of our training and whatnot, so why wouldn't we do something similar with our, with our food. So that's awesome. Mm. A couple more questions before I let you go, Matt. I know you're a very busy man. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll just touch on this because we could probably go on for a long time. But what are your current thoughts on the, the state of the fitness industry at the moment? What are some of the good things and bad things that you see? Obviously, you go to a lot of expos and you're up there <laughs> associating with some of um, the bigger look, names. There's many ways that you can view the current, the current climate or the current situation. I think what you've seen is a... A significant shift in the manner in which we digest our fitness information and our and our education. Uh, I you know gone are the days. Well, they're not gone necessarily, but the, you know the, the days of going into your local news agency, picking up your your copy of Flex magazine to see the results of the Mr. Olympia one one month ago. That's gone because yeah. of the immediacy of not only the internet with websites offering it, but 
also with social media. And what you're finding is that there are no gatekeepers like publishers stopping or vetoing content getting out. We now have a platform through social media to basically broadcast whatever message we want to whatever audience we want. And what you're finding is there are some individuals that um, are probably taking advantage of that and are probably not, um, you know, delivering their content with the best intentions. Yeah. Um, and, and, and but you know, and and, and obviously there are some people that are offering dubious. Um, you know, dubious uh, solutions to your fitness worries and, and playing to people in that regard. But, but, but on the, and, and often, you know, uh, you've also seen a shift in terms of, you know, people are gravitating less towards the top end bodybuilders and looking at them and, and they're starting to turn towards uh, influencers or fitness models or physique athletes or people that don't even compete Mm. But lead a lead a lifestyle that they obviously aspire to follow in the same footsteps, and and I think there's been a shift from brands and companies, and, and more focus is being placed on them. And and there's two ways you can look at it, rightly or wrongly. Like you can look at it from the perspective that you know I've gone like I I wish it was like the good old days, um, or alternatively, uh, those that are you know probably getting down in the dumps about the fact that certain influences are coming to prominence, probably it would be in their best interest to sort of look at the way in which they are communicating using these platforms and get the right message out there. Be proactive in that approach. Um, understand that there has been a changing of the tide and that the manner in which we communicate, digest our fitness information has changed and, and look to develop more content but with the right information. So I, I think what you'll find is over the coming, coming years – um, those that, you know, again, follow an evidence-based approach or have the right intentions of delivering value-added content, you'll start seeing them rise to prominence and you'll often see a lot of those that probably aren't delivering, um, you know, a, a lot of them that aren't delivering probably will, will fall by the wayside. But, I mean, that, that's from the fitness industry in that capacity. I, I, I guess the, other, the biggest thing I've also picked up on is sort of that shift in mindset from looking for that optimal approach Mm. Um, and looking for, you know, micromanaging tiny details and, you know, looking for people often were turning to gurus. And I think over time through people's experiences, bad ones, they're starting to make a shift towards a, a more, um, basically integrating fitness into your life and having it be a, a help and not a hindrance. Because I think, I remember when I first started, it was sort of like, well, why can't you follow six to eight meals every two to three hours? Do you not want it badly enough? That was the psychology. Yeah. But then, but now, but now because everyone's been burnt in the ass about <laughs> that sort of mentality and they've, they've started to realize that, oh, you know what? I really enjoy lifting. I like having a good physique or, you know, strength training or whatever, but I don't want to compromise every other facet in my life. How do I, and, and I think balance and flexibility are starting to, rise to prominence over restriction and, you know, that <laughs> you got to be in it to win it mentality. Yeah, I agree. I, I reckon we're starting to see more people now revolve fitness around their lifestyle and not the opposite way around, not having to revolve their life around going to the gym and, like you said, following a very strict way of eating. And, and, uh, and in terms of what people are posting on social media and, like you said, the influencers now that are some of the bigger names, in my opinion, I reckon it's just more people being able to relate 
um, and and the people that, like yourself and, and other people in the industry that are putting time into even just things with captions and whatnot on Instagram and going into detail about a certain topic that they're trying to cover instead of just posting up a, a picture where they're looking shredded and, and just fishing, yeah. and fishing for likes. Like we're seeing people now uh, appreciate the fact that there's people trying to help them out there and, and help them get further in their own fitness journey. Most definitely. I, I think, um, look, it, it is all too easy to post a, you know, a shredded photo or this, that and the other from a visual perspective that you know will inevitably get engagement. But what would be a greater benefit to people is if you accompany that photo as an attention-grabbing thing to then educate them yeah. and, and provide practical tips that – and this is the other thing – provide practical guidelines which are applicable to all parties based, and, and it's up to them to then view things in the context of their individual situation. Um, uh, go, like From my perspective, if anyone ever asks me, <laughs> you know, what, what do you – like? And they'll often ask me, you know, ask what's the best exercise or something along those lines. And it's like a lot of the questions I get, they don't have much in the way of context with them. It's looking for that black and white optimal approach. But, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I agree. I agree for sure. All right, mate, last question uh, and I'll let you go. So a question I've been asking people a lot when when I have guests on the show lately is do you have any daily rituals or habits that you like to stick to, um, whether it be – a morning ritual or just something that you do later in the day, whatever it may be, but um, something that makes you feel a bit more productive and feel like you're getting the most out of the day? Look, uh, look, I start every day off and I try to basically sit down, work out a, a plan of attack with regard to the various tasks that I need to execute on that day um, that are going to manifest into whatever my big picture goals are. I, I think I've often fallen into the trap of having high aspirations, big goals, and not knowing how to, um, you know, effectively cut them down into more manageable pieces to digest each and every day. So I think by having a checklist and a to-do list and sort of just reviewing it um, each morning, that that provides a sense of direction to my day um, and a bit of structure and regiment. But then uh, I guess, believe it or not, and, and look, I'd like to say – you know, I, I go off and meditate or I do something like that. I, I don't do that currently. Yeah. Um, but what I do do, I'm, I'm, it's strange. You're so immersed in the fitness industry, it becomes your life, becomes your work. I'm starting to actually look to the gym as a means of breaking up my day. Um, and I'm looking forward to it again. And, and I've sort of got renewed enthusiasm in that regard. And often I find myself doing low-intensity steady-state cardio for no other reason other than it gives me time to myself to like process my thoughts without having to action anything. So I'm, you know, just going along on the step and just probably just being one with myself at that particular point in time, reflecting on where I'm at rather than thinking, go, 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 where am I, you know, what should I be doing right now? So, um, but yeah, that's, that's my day ritual. (laughs) That's cool, man. That's cool, man. And, And just in regards to that low steady state cardio and you said you don't necessarily do any meditation, like I reckon that is, 100% 100% a form of meditation. It's definitely, yeah. definitely a form of mindfulness and a way that, like you said, it gives you a chance to just kind of kick back and think about things without having to put action to it straight away and just take it all in and, and then go Yeah, and I think taking that time to break up your day, um, strangely, like there'll be times where I'll do a, like I'll do a video shoot with Chris at Muscle Nation um, and I'll drive all the way out to Penrith. Um, but in that hour car drive, 
you, you just have time to just think about, you know, what you're doing, what, you know, the, the things that uh, are working out, the things that aren't working out, um, how you're feeling about what you do. You know, I've been thinking about that for the last uh, six to 12 months, not only like what I do in the way, but, but like why do I do what I do? Mm. And um, often it's good to t- sort of take stock at times and, and reflect on those sort of things because uh, you can get so caught up in tiny details with little significance. Uh, but if you want to lead a fulfilling life, um, I, I think you need to find a, a greater purpose and understanding of why you do what you do. And that's something that I've been really thinking about over the last six to 12 months. Um, you know, obviously you want to find fulfillment in your career and, and your social life and, and your family life, etc. But often you need to sort of remove yourself from the hustle and bustle of whatever you're engaged in with regard to work and, and sort of take stock, take a nice deep breath in and assess, you know, why do I do what I do? And, and it, basically that ends up reaffirming you know, your actions day to day and what you end up going about doing. But it's it's always important to take stock from time to time. I couldn't agree more, Robbie. Couldn't agree more. Well, mate, I, from myself and the listeners of the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast, thank you so much for joining us and also good luck for your show. Um, you're looking phenomenal, mate, so I'm sure you'll do great. But again, really appreciate you coming on today and, and sharing some of your knowledge with us and just having a chat. Yeah, my absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Uh, and, uh, yeah, let, let, let's see how I go into this time. But thank you very much. No worries, man. All right, guys, make sure you hang around for this week's social media question of the week. Alrighty, guys, this week's social media question of the week. And the question is, if I am sick or if I feel like I've got a bit of a niggle or an injury and I'm unable to train and I need to drop back on my training for a day or two, should I be dropping back on my calories? And if so, how many calories should I be reducing? Should I be taking from carbohydrates, fats, or protein? Now, this is a great question. If it is just one day or if you're a bit sick or you feel like you're a bit sore and you're going to miss your session in the gym, which is perfectly fine. Sometimes we need to make sure that we're taking care of our bodies and thinking of things in the long term and not the short term as one day or a couple days here and there off is a lot better than a few weeks or even longer down the track where you need to take off. So if that's the case, if it's only a very small period of time, I would suggest keeping your nutrition exactly the same, not dropping any calories, keep your water intake up, keep things exactly the same as usual. If you do have to have a relatively long layoff, whether it be a week or a little bit longer, my recommendation would be to reduce either your carbohydrates or fats. If you're going to reduce your carbohydrates anywhere between 25 and 50 grams, so between 100 and 200 calories, should be fine. If you're going to reduce from fats, uh, roughly 10 to 15, maybe 20 grams of fat um, would also be a good idea. But it does depend on how sedentary you will be. Uh, by taking that time away from the gym. So if you're not training, but you're still at work all day and you've got a physical job, then maybe you don't need to reduce your calories by that much. If you're pretty much bedridden and you're not expending any energy at all, then maybe you need to take even more calories. But I wouldn't recommend going too low because even when you're not training, if your calorie deficit is too large, it is going to create that that need and that urge to binge and, and eat more than what you should be. And then in the end of the day, your average intake for the week is going to be even even higher than what it would have been if you just stuck to your normal routine. So don't overthink it. Don't stress about it too much. Just make a slight reduction if you feel like you're not expending anywhere near enough energy. And then once you go back to normal, bring those calories back to where they were before and you'll be back on track in no time. So thanks so much for joining me and uh, 
on the Fitness and Lifestyle podcast today. It was obviously awesome to have Robbie on. If you have enjoyed today's episode, please do leave a review on iTunes, rate the podcast, and as I mentioned earlier, take a screenshot of the episode and post it onto your social media, whether it be Instagram, Snapchat, post a link to Facebook. All the support is much appreciated, guys, and I do really appreciate all the Instagram uh, DMs, the emails and stuff from people coming in lately about the fact that they're enjoying the podcast and some of these episodes, which is great. So I hope you're having a fantastic day. I can't wait to chat to you in the next episode.